open up to Luke chapter 6, verse 20 is where we're going to be beginning this morning. Right on verse 27 is where I'll start really teaching, but I want to kind of get a running jump at it. And last week I was in Arizona, and the nice thing about Arizona is it only in the daytime gets up to around 300 or 350. It's not... It's really nice because you don't have to turn your oven on at night. You're like, oh, you want to cook? It's already, everything's cooked, you know, everything in the fridge. And so, and then at night it cools down to like 2, 220 like that. So everything stays warm. And, and uh, Arizona, no, I'm, I'm, I kid, I kid a little bit. But Arizona was fun. I was there and, and my wife and I flew over there to do a wedding there in Prescott. And so we were actually about a mile high elevation, a little cooler. Temperatures only in about the high 100s. And uh, so uh, we had a great time over there. And it really was a treat um, to get away and to travel just with my uh, wife and uh, Pastor Bo and his family and my mom and dad took care of our kids while well, we took about five days traveling. It's kind of a working vacation, a working getaway because of, of the wedding. And this, this couple over there, Michael and Sarah, though, I've only met them once. They went to church here one time. I actually prayed for them. And then they got a hold of me last January. They said, would you do our wedding in Prescott? And, and I thought, well, that sounds very interesting. You know, tell me more and all the rest. And Prescott's really interesting because there's a group of Prescottians or Prescottis or whatever, I don't know what they're called, Biscottis. They're over there in Prescott cooking away. There's a group of them over there that every single Wednesday get together at a church and they actually stream our services. They have a little life group that gets there. They get our life group questions and they meet at the, the Solid Rock Christian Church there and they, the pastor even shows up there and they watch the sermons and they talk about it and they're growing in the Lord. So when we went there doing this wedding, there's all kinds of people that knew me or us, if you would, because they've been watching the sermons but have never met us and they're all excited to see Pastor Luke. And it was such a treat, but the biggest treat was being there with with Michael and Sarah, these two 19-year-old kids, okay, just youngsters. And the depth of character and caliber to these two was so fun to be a part of. I, I don't like doing weddings for 19-year-olds all the time. But these two, they had their heads on straight and their hearts focused on the Lord. And then their humility, and I'm telling you what, there wasn't a dry eye at the reception, at the rehearsal, at the wedding. Every, people just, it was such a treat for me to be a part of that. And so thank you all for letting me get away and go to a, do a wedding there. And one of the highlights on Friday, I got up early and went to Starbucks. That's not the highlight, but it was close. It was close. It was the beginning of the highlight. I went to Starbucks there in Prescott, and I think they only had like one or two. I don't know what they're doing over there. They're blowing it. But I, I found the one that was nearest to our hotel, and I walked in and ordered my quad shot, whatever I was getting. And I looked over to my left, and I saw this guy sitting there. I thought, that looks like Frank Parrish. You guys know Frank Parrish? That, that looks just like him. And I thought to myself, that is Frank Parrish. Now, I hadn't seen Frank Parrish in over 20 years. He used to be the pastor here of New Life Church, the Four Square Church, and he baptized me at the Newport Swimming Pool, the old one, back in 1996. And I hadn't seen him since 1996 or 1990. Hadn't seen him at all. And so I went and sat down. Now, I look just the same as I did then, right? I mean... Little, little chubbier, I suppose, but that's about it, you know? So, so I sat down, just kind of pulled up a chair, and he's like, looks up at me like, oh, no, you know? <laughs> and I said, Frank Parrish? And he's like, uh, may, yes, maybe, you know? And, and it was so fun to, you know, introduce myself to him, Luke Frechette, and he knew exactly who I was. As a matter of fact, he said, he texted, he grabbed his phone out and started texting Wendy Parrish's wife, and he said, we were just talking about you yesterday. Your name came up in conversation. He's in ministry there in Prescott, World Map Ministry. They help missionaries stay missionaries when they go on furloughs and all the rest of the stuff. And so it was just such a fun time ministering and getting away and seeing God all over the place, little life groups in Prescott and little couples coming together in Jesus' name and their hearts dedicated to God and little divine moments. Matter of fact, on the way here this morning, I was praying out loud for us in our time that the Lord would give us words of knowledge and prophecies and divine uh, interactions and divine moments where we speak with one another and maybe somebody will share something with you or you'll see somebody and pray for them. Just 
I don't like the word magic, but it makes sense. Magical moments, miraculous interactions where God is always doing stuff. And if you're like me at all, you, you forget, you get distracted, you look at the mold on the backside of your house and you get defeated. You know, I just painted yesterday, you know, and, and you forget. And then the Lord says, hey, I'm doing stuff, man. I'm always doing stuff. I'm, I've got so much in store. And so I would encourage you, parents and moms, dads, and husbands and wives, to be of good cheer this morning and, and trust the Lord that he is on the movies doing things. And uh, it was such a fun time to get away. And uh, Pastor Marty did such a great job uh, filling in in the pulpit, and he handled the word of God with accuracy and great care. And uh, can you just clap for Pastor Marty? And that's such a blessing for me to be streaming live in Prescott and come back and watch the sermon as well and just see passion and accuracy and intention and heartfelt uh, teaching. And everyone who's going to stand on the stage ever or teach you, no matter what church, there's going to be a little different flavor and different style, but it's the same menu, okay? Whenever people say, Luke, that was the best sermon, I can't, you know, I say, look, it's the menu. I'm just, I'm, you just ordered off the menu. I'm, I can't take credit. It's all here. It's all who God is, his heart and his character for us. And so thank you, Marty, for stepping in and doing that. And I'll tell you what, though, as I was gone, I taught here two weeks ago and taught three services and went to bed. And I woke up the next morning and jammed over to Corvallis just by myself. And I went over there for a pastor's conference. There was 160 pastors and leaders from all over Oregon. It was the Oregon Pastors Conference there in Corvallis. And I was on the teaching team. And so I had a responsibility to teach and a little in over my head, to be honest. I'll just be honest with you guys. I wasn't honest with them, but I was honest with you guys. And, and I was scared of teaching, teaching pastors. These are leaders. And that's why I got done teaching here and jammed over there and taught there and then got home Wednesday right before Hope in the Park and taught there and then put my kids to bed and said, I'll see you on Tuesday, you know, put my kids to bed and woke up with my wife at five and drove to Portland and flew there and did all that and was gone Sunday and came back, hit the ground running Wednesday, hope in the park. And I just missed you guys. I really did. You guys are really precious to me. I appreciate you guys. I do. I love you guys. I love this town. I love what God's doing in your hearts, and I love your faces. I love, I love your stories. I, I love seeing you guys on Facebook and how God is leading you and guiding you and growing you and carrying you. And it's so fun to go all over the place, but it's really fun to be here. So thank you, everyone. And the best part is that what God is doing here is real. We have shirts around that say, Jesus is real. You know, and that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, I suppose. But what it means to me is that Jesus really changes lives. He really brings people together. He does things that only he can do. And he is doing that right now. And it's so fun to see it in Prescott and see it all over and see it at the pastor's conference, but to see it here. And, and if you're here this morning, I would say that Jesus is still in the midst right now. As a matter of fact, as some of you are showing up to church today, my first thought was, ah, I like, I like him. I like her. I like what God's doing in their life. And I begin to pray for you as I saw you. Because I know God is not done and God needs to do more. And I know I'm not done with and God needs to do more in my life. And if you believe that Jesus is real, Jesus changes everything. Jesus comes into your life. And wouldn't it be fun if you got saved and gave your life to Jesus and repented of your sins, accepted him as your savior, crowned him as your king, and then boom, voila, you went to heaven. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, come on. No, that's not how it works. You, you get to go to heaven when you die, but until then, you have to live. And that's where things get weird. And now that you're a believer, you know, things are, yeah, but you have to deal with stuff. 
and stuff comes out, and, and you live with somebody, most likely, that their stuff's coming out too, and you look at their stuff, oh, well, I didn't know that was in there, you know, and then you have kids, and all their stuff comes out, and man, and Jesus calls us closer to him all the time, okay? He calls you to himself once to be saved. Just once, once you're saved, he, he does the work. He doesn't undo the work, okay? He's good at what he does. He doesn't lose anybody. It's all him. But he asks us to examine ourselves and to work out the salvation that is now ours, to, to present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice, to say, Lord, I thought I would go to heaven right away, but I guess you got more stuff you want to teach me, more stuff you want to show me. And it's up to you and I, and it's a privilege to say, Lord, would you do that? Would you sow into me? And maybe you're like me. You were baptized at age 19, and now you're 39 and 20 years. Maybe you walked away from the Lord for a season like I did. And then at age 20, I gave my life back to the Lord, 21. I've been running after him the whole time. And for somebody who's been running after the Lord since he was 21 and is now 39, I'm actually not that impressed. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, th I thought, I mean, I'm not that impressed. I got a lot more to learn I got a lot longer to go, and that's okay. That's the glory. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, I think it's 25, that it's the king's joy to pursue a matter, to, to go after something hidden, to figure something out, to lead, to run after something, and God has invited you into following him and being changed. Now, I say all that to say this. Jesus is calling some of us, well, I'd be more liberal, he's calling all of us to present ourselves to him and to get into his word and get his word into us. This is where the magic happens, okay? I'm telling you what, when you get into God's word and you really believe it, I didn't say understand it, okay? That takes a long time and I'm not even there yet. But when you just with the humble heart say, I'm going to believe God's word, I'm going to love it. I'm going to live on it more than I do on bread alone. I'm going to honor God's word above my own opinion. I'm going to read it and study it, and I'm going to try and wrap my life around it. When you just make that decision, which I did at age 21, and when you decide to then open his word in that way, oh, the fun begins. You all of a sudden, you're not lost. You know things. The Bible says in Psalm 119, that because of his precepts, now you are even smarter than the ancients. You know stuff. Not because you're so cool, because you're not. You're not. You're not cool. Sorry. Neither am I. But his word is. And his word is what sets us apart. And Jesus is the living word of God. And he came to the earth and he called people out of their, their ditches, whether they were rebellious sinners or super stoic, self-righteous, religious Pharisees and legalists. He calls them both to himself. He says, guys, listen to me. Listen to me and walk with me. And this is what Jesus does. He's real. He's changing people's lives. And he calls you, though, today, listen, to not just being a Christian consumer, like a newborn babe, all they do is consume and make messes. To, to, to grow and to become a Christian contributor. To be one who actually doesn't just come and see, but who goes and serves. This is where it gets fun, by the way, in Christianity. To come and see, to listen to Jesus and sit at his feet and receive from him. Oh, so fun. But when he grabs you and says, come a little deeper. I'm going to put you in the front now. 
I want you to go ahead and here's the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You're like, whoa, dude, time out. Are you sure about that, bro? He gave the keys to the kingdom of heaven to Peter. And, and the fun begins when Jesus says, I want you to feel this. I want you to feel the weight. I want you to feel the responsibility. I want you to feel the joy of my kingdom. Sure, it's yours to have, but I want you to now come and serve. And a couple weeks ago, we saw that Jesus prayed all night, came down the mountain, and called the 12 apostles. He called them to himself to now go. I want you guys to lead. And that group of ragtag gangsters, man, those knuckleheads, you know their story. It's written down. Those guys are the ones Jesus prayed and chose. And the Father said, these are the ones who are going to turn the world upside down. And he's doing the same today. He's calling people today. I remember many times sitting under the voice of a preacher or under the inspiration of God's word and feeling, that was for me. You called me. You're calling me out. You're call I can't. Can I hide? Is there any hide? No, no hiding? Okay, there's no hiding. Okay, okay. You're calling me, and I don't know the future, neither do you, but to be that Christian who just says, okay, use me for your glory in Newport, in Lincoln County, in the school district, in my place of business, wherever I'm at, in my neighborhood. Lord, would you, you how's he going to do that? He's got to equip you. And this equipping comes from the word of God. When the word of God becomes your guide and it takes rulership of your life and the word of God tells you what's up and what's down and the word of God becomes to you more precious than food, okay, which is an illustration of all the worldly comforts. I can say that, by the way, that the word of God is more precious to me than anything else. I can say it, I believe it, but I often don't express it. You know what I'm saying? I often don't live it, but in my heart I want to. I, I, I know it. It's been, it's been proven to change my life. And if you're skeptical here this morning, there's no reason to be. There's just no reason to be skeptical of God's word. Okay, you do a little research. Go ahead and, and quantify the data and weigh the facts and, and, and interview the people who've had their lives changed by this word. And you know, okay, what's, this book changes people's lives. Okay, Harry, Harry Potter does not do that, just so you guys know. You can read that. You can read it as much as you want. It's not gonna change your life. Okay, Lord of the Rings trilogy, great, great. It's not going to change your life. This book will change your life. I love getting into God's word and seeing what happens. And Jesus, if you've been here, if you're just visiting or brand new, Jesus in the gospel of Luke has primarily been going places and doing things. And Luke, the writer, has detailed that for us. When Jesus shows up, man, things get crazy. Jesus gets kicked out of synagogues. People who have demons are set free. People who have leprosy are healed. People who are paralyzed are also restored. People who are caught in sin are delivered and forgiven. Jesus does all kinds of stuff. When the religious are there, Jesus looks at them. Really? And he goes toe-to-toe. -to -toe. He's not afraid to step on their toes and all of the rest. Listen, in this story, though, it's a little different. Jesus preaches a sermon. Okay, he's been teaching. We don't have all the records of that, but we see what happens when Jesus teaches. Here we actually have the teaching. Okay? I actually, as a pastor, get to teach Jesus' sermon to you that he taught to them. Okay? That's, that's, it's, it is cool, but it also scares me a little bit. Okay? This is Jesus' sermon to them, which is also to you, and now I get to teach it to you as well. And it's like, whoa. I don't, and I've been kind of scared, to be honest with you, because I don't want to blow it. This sermon goes down in history. It has a couple titles, one of which is the Beatitudes. You've heard of that probably. The other it goes down in history as is the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard of that. It's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This one is called the Sermon on the Plain. Okay? It might have been a Boeing. We're not quite sure. Um, 
No, no, okay. P- different kind of plain, P-L-A-I-N. It's in a flat area, okay? It's not the Sermon on the Mount, which was on a mount, just Bible students pay attention, it's easy. It's a different location, but the same information. That's interesting. Jesus here is teaching, and he looks up, the Bible says, and, and, and Pastor Marty handled it well and got us through the blessings and the woes, and I'm gonna kind of jump through that as fast as I can and get to the parts that we haven't studied but Jesus is healing and teaching. He's got his apostles now, and things are really moving. It's almost as if Jesus interrupts the healing service for a sermon. He's like, wait, stop. And he preaches this crazy sermon. And this isn't the first time he preached it. We know for sure it's at least the second time. I believe that the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and the Sermon on the, in the Plain, Luke chapter 6, are two different locations. But Jesus, when he saw the masses, said, I know what message I need to preach, the same one I taught last week, the, the same one I've heard before. Now in that comes a little bit of thought process. I love good sermons. I love good sermons so much that when I find a good sermon, I actually download the MP3, or back in the day, I used to uh, buy the tape. You guys remember tapes? Y- young people, ask your parents, they'll, you can use the Google machine to figure it out, the tapes. You know? And I used to buy tapes, and I remember these tapes would be in my car, and oh, that sermon, I would listen to that tape, that sermon, dozens if, if not some, I've got some, that I listen to hundreds of times. Driving, I just need to hear it again. I need to hear it again. Not because I forgot it so much, but because of the truth involved sets me free and does so much to who I am and who I need to become. The word of God. So as Jesus stands and gives this sermon in the midst, I just need you to consider how, how important it was to him and how important it is to you and I, the, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Every pastor should have a, a back pocket sermon or two, kind of when needed to share some sort of truth out of the scriptures. This would be, if you would, Jesus' back pocket sermon. Now he's, again, leading the 12 apostles who he just identified. He's surrounded by the many disciples that are still checking him out and committed to him, but he's also surrounded by the multitudes of people. That's the scene, okay? There's just tons and tons of people, and the setting should be even more and more expansive than this. And they're at the Sea of Galilee there. Sea of Galilee is 13 miles wide, uh, eight miles long, about 200 feet deep, and full of fish it's a big lake 13 by 8 okay this is kind of a big expanse and the people there listen these are the Galileans not the Judeans okay the Judeans were more educated they had a little more under experience under their belt these are the Galileans the fishermen the herdsmen okay the farmers the agricultural type people for every 20 people you had maybe one that could read a little Okay? So out of 100 people, which is the most towns that were comprised, 100 people in a village, there was upwards of two to five that could read. The rest of them, very simple people. Normal people, I would like to call them. Real, real down-to-earth people, literally. And this happens. Jesus shows up, he's healing people, and he gives this sermon to them. It encourages me because I feel kind of normal sometimes, maybe even a little subnormal or below normal, a little abnormal or whatever, the, you know, fill in the blanks. So, yeah, you know. And to think that Jesus would take the time and the energy, oh, I love Jesus, that he would take the time and the energy to look at this people. He could look at them and say, Galileans, huh? You're fine. You know, and he can go about it and do what he's doing. Instead, he gave the best sermon in the world. Are you kidding me? And the sermon on the plain, the sermon on the mount. And this is important for you teachers, moms, dads, You've taught your kids well already, and maybe they forgot, okay? The master tool of all teaching 
It's repetition, repetition, repetition. And when you have repetition and repetition and repetition, it will equal learning eventually. I don't care what it is. It could be a golf swing. It, it could be anything that you need to do over and over and over for many years even before you get it. And that's frustrating, isn't it? Some things I want to just, how long is this going to take to learn? Maybe three, four, five decades. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, I heard a story of a pastor. He's in heaven now, and he taught a sermon on a Sunday. I think it was called Mashed Potatoes. I haven't done the research, but that's what I heard. And the whole idea was about being united, like potatoes coming together. I don't know. It's kind of a silly illustration to me. But he talked about unity and humility and honor. The next Sunday, he got up and he taught the same sermon, word for word. The next Sunday, three Sundays in a row, got up and just without fanfare, just taught the same sermon. Fourth Sunday, same sermon. Fifth Sunday, same sermon. Mashed potatoes, you know. And finally, somebody said, hey, what's the big idea? And his answer was, I'll move on to another sermon when you begin to practice what I've been preaching. Here's the deal. I would just say, you know, that's kind of me sometimes. I need to hear it over and over and over. Sermons produce in us fruit. The Bible produces in us growth. It reminds us. Even since dedicating your life to Jesus, just making that, you know, ontological decision, just mental. And hopefully it's gone from your head, 18 inches to your heart, where you actually are born again. And making that decision. Since making that decision, have any of you just gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs a couple times? Done some things that are completely outside the framework of being a Christian? Raise your hand and tell us your story. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I've, done some, I've done some weird stuff, man. Like, ah! Back to square one. I don't, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> after walking with the Lord for this long, I'm just not that impressed with myself. And the Lord knows that. And so with this group, he brings out this sermon and teaches them repetition, repetition, repetition. Now, this particular sermon, as with all sermons, has a specific purpose to it. I need you to get that, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and Luke 6, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Get this. Do not miss this. If you read this sermon, this is a one, one page, if you would. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is obviously three chapters. If you read this in its entirety, which I'm going to today, oh no, stop the clock, stop. I'm going I'm to do it. I'm going to do it you will come to one of two conclusions. First one is, oh no, I'm so messed up. I'm not even anywhere near any of the things he said to do. And I love him, but I'm not doing any of this right at all, so I must go out and try harder to appease my king. And that would be wrong. The second conclusion you can come to after reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, or this one, is to bow the knee and say, oh man, I'm not doing any of this at all. I am so far from where I need to be. This is so intense. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, he says, by the way, why don't you guys just be perfect as I'm perfect, okay? We'll just kind of summarize the whole thing. Go ahead and go kill it, you know? And you're like, I can't be perfect. And the point is, because every sermon has to have kind of a destination where it takes you to. This sermon is designed to primarily and initially and specifically take you to a point of humility and surrender to the king, okay? Where you say, Lord, would you, would you save me? I don't think I'm doing this. 
I don't think I'll even be able to. I want to. I want to. I'm not going to use that as an excuse, but Lord, would you, say, would you forgive me and save me? This sermon is designed to show how perfect, that's what the law does, how perfect God is in order to make me surrender to his perfection and therefore, because of his grace, become perfect like him by his gift. Secondly, though, after you've done that, surrendered to God, oh man, that's crazy, crazy, crazy. After you've humbly surrendered to God, this is to be our guide, okay, for the next 50, 60, 70 years. This is who I'm trying to become. This is to be the one that keeps me in line and calls me out when I do it wrong. The Sermon on the Mount, this is to be the one that's supposed to blow the whistle when my heart is wrong. This is to be who we're supposed to be. It's designed specifically to get our eyes up to the Lord, but it's secondarily designed to get our eyes off ourselves and off our flesh and off our sin and to repent. And thirdly, it is designed because it talks about unilateral relationships. It's designed to not just get our eyes up to God and off ourselves, but onto other people. Okay, we're going to see that in just a few minutes here. Christians are primarily known for what they're against. Have you seen this before? <laughs> Christians hate that, and they hate this, and they're against that. Like that's... Jesus goes a little differently. He says, you know what you should be known for? Your love for your enemies. Your prayer for those who hate you. Your service towards people different. As a matter of fact, there's, there's a, it's the golden rule. It's in this section, okay? And Jesus does something interesting with the golden rule. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. That rule, Jesus stole that from the other teachers of that day. It wasn't original with Jesus. That was being taught by other rabbis and other leaders, but it was different. They did it in a negative sense. They said, don't do to people what you don't want them to do to you. That sounds right. You know, don't do dumb stuff to people and if you don't want them to do dumb stuff to you. Jesus, though, made it better. He's like, you know what I actually want you guys to do? Do stuff two people. Get outside of yourself. Be proactive. Okay, Don't just sit back and be a weirdo and do nothing bad. Do something good. To, to who? To the people that are doing bad. <laughs> Sorry for spitting on you. <laughs> and he goes on to qualify. He says, is it easy to do good to those who do good to you? Yeah, I like doing good to good people. That's fun. I like being nice to nice people. And he's like, that's, that's easy. Instead, he says, love the ones who won't love you back. Pray for them. Bless them. And so Jesus, this sermon is designed to, wow, eyes up to the Lord, wow, and then eyes off yourself, and then eyes on to other people, okay? It'll change your life. So let's just read it from the top. I've only got, I'm not going to tell you how much time I have left. I'll just take as much time as I need. <laughs> and I'm going to read it from the top. Marty began in verse 20. And uh, in verses 20 through 26, who, what Marty already taught last week, is the blessings and the woes. And he talks about those on earth who have and those who have not. And he says, those who have not, you're blessed. Those who have a whole bunch, you're cursed. And let me just qualify that before we go in any further. There are those who have a lot and are not cursed, okay? He says those who have a lot are cursed. What he's implying, though, is those who have a lot and are putting their full confidence in their identity in what they have. He says, be careful of that. Don't do that. Having a lot is not a sin. It's when what you have has you that it becomes sinful. He also says, blessed are you if you're poor, if you're hungry, if you're cast out, if you're hated. Did you know that all of those things aren't really a blessing? Can I just get an amen? amen. Okay. But if you are for righteousness sake, if you're hated for his name's sake, because you can be hated for being an idiot. Okay. <laughs> That's not a blessing, okay? You can actually be poor because you're dumb, okay? Because you're foolish. 
You can also be poor, because that's what God said that he wants for your life. You're going to live in poverty. Why? Because he wants your riches to be in heaven. Okay? Let me just memorize this. Write this down, note takers and deep thinkers. Okay? There are the righteous poor and the unrighteous poor. And there are the righteous rich and the unrighteous rich. Okay? Rich or poor does not qualify you for being righteous or unrighteous. It's how you steward that wealth or poverty. It is where your riches are. If God has blessed you with riches and wealth and success and your riches and your hope and your peace and sanity are in heaven, you are blessed and use those riches well. But if you are blessed monetarily and have everything and that is your biggest identity and your biggest factor that makes you who you are, woe to you. Woe to you for your, your riches and your reward are here, not in heaven. And so he gives this teaching that is designed to get us to look to him and say, you know what, <laughs> I need your help. Apparently, I need your help. <laughs> Apparently, that's where you're taking me in this sermon, this back pocket sermon, Jesus. And Jesus is talking to subgroups of people, but are really masked by one group of people. Did you know that humanity really is just one group of people? Okay, just, It's just one group. And here's, here's, the, here's the, the denominator that makes us common with one another. We're all going to die. Okay? That's what makes us all equal. Nobody's getting out of this alone. We're all in this together. But within that group of people that are all going to die, there are two subgroups. There are those who, when they die, all of you are going to die. There are those, though, when you die, you will go straight to heaven. And there are others who, when you die, you will go straight to hell. That's just the truth. And so there are those who have their identity in this world primarily. And this for them is as close as they will ever get to heaven, earth. Wouldn't that be horrible? If your identity is in the earth, this is as close as you will ever get to heaven. But for those whose identity and king and kingdom is in heaven, this on earth is as close as you'll ever get to hell. And Jesus is speaking to a group specifically. Rejoice when they kick you out, when they hate you, when they push you down. For great is your reward. Where? in heaven but woe to you when all men speak well of you and everything's going great when you're here and you're getting all your fat cat stuff now and that's what your identity is in because you are wealthy but unrighteous in it and jesus is warning and is illustrating this this juxtaposition this comparison this paradox that is running parallel truths these two kingdoms the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven and what kingdom you live for will determine how you live. That's deep, write that down. It wasn't that deep. <laughs> what kingdom you're living for will determine how you live. And if you're going to heaven, it will have deep impact on the way you live. Deep impact. If indeed you're, as a matter of fact, all the woes and all the blessings are there. You can read them on your own time. We read them last week. Look at verse 27. He says, but I say to you who hear, pause right there, eyes up here. It's going to be a long sermon. (laughs) He says to you who actually hear, who actually are listening. I, I like to believe that's the called ones. There were people there that didn't hear it. What's he talking about? You think he's going to make some food out of that there rock? (laughs) You think he's going to multiply some? They're looking for something else. And Jesus is getting to the hearts of some men and women though. He says, listen, though, you who have an ear to hear, you listen. And then he goes into this diatribe conversation, this monologue, if you would, this kind of fast-paced teaching style. 
to this people that he loved. And it's to you and to me who actually hear, who are kingdom bound. And, and again, if you're, king, if you're going to heaven, don't raise your hand, but just in your heart of hearts, are you gonna die? Just answer that question, okay? If you need help answering that, we've got counselors that can you know, help you, yet you are gonna die, okay? Now, are you gonna die and go to heaven? <laughs> this makes me so happy. Not you dying and going to heaven, me dying and going to heaven. I know I'm going. I know that I'm going. I get, what? And that all of a sudden, because I know where I'm going, I know how to live. It changes everything when I have that perspective. And if you don't know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven, do not leave today without talking to me or someone else. And we will show you verses and we will pray with you and we will get you sealed by Jesus Christ. You're go- it's so simple. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and you'll be saved. Call upon him. It's done. Have faith in him. And if that's the case, then Jesus would say, okay, so now that you are listening, I'm just going to read this and make as many, oh my goodness, I'm going to read this and make as many comments as I can, so pay attention. You guys got to listen faster than you've been doing so far. Here we go. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either and give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away from your goods, do not ask them back. Stop right there, eyes up here. This would have been nuts. I'm just gonna read the adjectives or the action or the verbs, I should say. But I say to you, love, do good, bless those, pray for those, offer the other, do not withhold, give to everyone, and don't ask for anything back. In my notes right above here, I said, Jesus did this. Jesus Christ did this. He showed up to the world, turned the other cheek, gave of his raiments when they stole them from him. He loved his enemies. He, the best teachers are the ones who model it. Okay, parents? Teach it, model it, teach it, model it, teach it, model it, teach it, model it. Jesus taught, this is a teaching. Jesus standing here, dot, 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 dot. I'm sure some people are like, whatever, dude, just get back to what we're doing. And then all of a sudden, Jesus would model it later. They say, whoa, this guy practices what he preaches. Jesus doesn't just ask us to do what he would not have already been prepared to do. Are you going to heaven? This is who you're to be. This will change your life. Now, if you're going to heaven by God's grace, yeah! But it's going to be kind of wacky on the way there. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in verses 20 through 27, if you're hated, if your name is cast out as evil, if you're hungry, if you weep, rejoice and leap for joy. Woo! How you guys doing with that? I mean, when you're like hated and rejected and things don't go well, it's difficult, do you find yourself, you know, only if I can kick somebody when I do it, you know? Honestly, how you doing with that? When I'm hated and reviled, falsely, for his name's sake, I just heard this morning from a friend of mine who was at Walmart, and church came up, and this person said, oh, I go to church, and this other person said, where do you go to church? And he said, South Beach Church, and she said, oh, that Luke Fischette's the devil. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Anyways, the reasons are her own. And the Bible says, if that happens to you, re- leap for joy. I mean, that's kind of like extensive. Like, be okay with it, that's fine. Like, just be okay with it, it's off to you, it's fine, don't worry about it, you know? That's, I can get that. He says, no, no, you're going to heaven. You're different. It's not about here primarily. This is the warm up forever. If you're gonna die, and that's all of us, 
And if you're going to die and go to heaven, that should be all of us too here. Pray for those who are against you. I, I may not get through this sermon today. I just realized that. I just realized that. I just realized that. That's okay. It's probably better. One of the reasons why I've not been excited to teach this is because of my own hypocrisy in my Christianity. I'm not like Jesus. I'm just not. I don't react that way that he did. And it, and it, and it bums me out. And it also, though, calls me out. I don't want you to stay bummed today. If you're all not like Jesus at all and you're not doing any of this, okay, don't stay bummed out, but let it call you out. This is an opportunity for you and I to put our big boy pants on. To, to actually go into the word and say, really, you really want me to try this stuff? I'd rather not. I don't really want to rejoice. I'd rather call an advocate and defend myself. I mean, who, does anyone do that when somebody slanders your name or misunderstands you? Are you quick to justify yourself? I, I have found, and I don't do it well, but I have found when I am in defense mode, I'm usually wrong. Just let it go. I may be right, but I'm so right I become wrong. And Jesus said, no, there's a better way. You're, you're a heavenly-minded person. Okay, don't, don't, don't freak out about the stuff down here. Rejoice. Don't get overwhelmed. And, and when all men speak well of you, when everything's going good, don't, don't believe the press clippings. There were days when Jesus was the flavor of the month. Okay, he could do no wrong. Everyone loved him. And then there were moments when everyone hated him. And his hope, your hope, my hope, your definition, your destination is happen. I really, when I really stop drinking coffee and calm down a little and just think about that. Oh my goodness. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, I can do this. I, I can follow the words of Jesus and actually be kind. The world says no. You don't need to be kind to those who are unkind. You can, you can figure it out. You can just, there's a whole worldly scheme. And if your kingdom, your highest kingdom is this world, you will take cues and direction from this world. But if you are living for the next world, you will be like Jesus in your reactions and your interactions with people. Jesus here speaking to his people, those who hear, says, do as I do and you will be blessed. He says, do good to those who hate you. Usually the people that hate you don't have a lot of friends. And Jesus loves them. He says, you know what would be a radical they need love just as much as you want love. No one else is going to love them. Yeah, but they're hating me. I know. I wanted, I wanted you to get involved. I wanted you to be emotionally connected. And now with empathy and sympathy, I want you to minister to that person who hates you. And don't go crazy, but you all have people that you don't like. Maybe they don't like you. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Avoid them. <laughs> oh, okay. How's that working for you? Perfect. Unless I see them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We live in Newport. You're going to see them, you know. They're going to be at the 11. They're coming in, you know. <laughs> what if you just went crazy? You're like, all right, Jesus. What, what I, he says in verse 23, rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. In heaven. Where's your rewards? Are they, being, are they down here? Is it all about friends here and all this stuff? Or are you really want to, you want to be heavenly minded and become earthly good as a businessman, as a friend, as a coach, as a parent towards your kids? Do good to those who hate you. 
He says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. This is so hard to do. In the book of Proverbs, it says, for your enemy who's hungry and who needs stuff to feed him, who's thirsty, give him water. Your enemy. That's what it says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 25, verse 20. You know what it says, though? And when I was a younger person, I loved this verse. It says, do this. Give your enemy something to drink when he's thirsty and something to eat when he's hungry. For in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Yeah, finally a verse I can memorize. I'm going to be, you know, right? Right? I'm going to be nice to my enemy because it's going to burn him up. I see, what you, I, see, <laughs> I see what you're throwing down, Lord. I get this. Yeah. No, no. You who are Bible students, you know that in those days they didn't have big lighters or gas stoves. They had fire that was a commodity, it was a resource. And if your fire were to run out, go out, oh, wow, that's going to be a task. And so the easiest way to get your fire going again was to take a bowl, put it on your head, and then walk a mile or two or ten to your neighbor's house and say, my fire went out, okay? Not enemies, my fire's out. Oh, cool, I'm going to heap coals of fire on your head then. Okay, I got a bunch of coals here. I'm going to give you as much as you need. And you would take then all these coals and put them on their head, and they would go back fired up. They would go back rewarmed. You start them by doing this. And so heaping coals of fire on someone's head is a good thing. God says, yeah, so is praying for your enemies, loving them when they're unlovable, feeding them when they're hungry, giving water to them when they're thirsty. And there's nothing greater on earth than to see the restoration of relationships. Nothing greater. There's nothing greater than praying for your enemies and seeing them healed, seeing them warmed up, being a part of that. The Bible says in the book of Corinthians that God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation between man and God and man and man. It's what we do. We're peacemakers. This is... You're a Christian. Oh, it means I can't do a bunch of stuff. <laughs> really? Really? I'm against everybody. Really? Doesn't, really? That's what, that's your, I'm a Christian. God has asked me to be his ambassador. A peacemaker. One who looks for those who are hurt to heal. One who looks even within my own sphere. Okay? Wouldn't this be so nuts? Is if you just prayed later today with a pen and paper for the enemies in your life. Just prayed by name. Just wrote them down. Oh, my heart starts to hurt a little bit just thinking about it. And write down their names and say, you know what? Where's my big boy pants? I need to love them. Why am I not loving them? Because I don't want to. They hurt me. Oh. Jesus would endure pain and betrayal. Backbiting. Hatred. Deeper than any of us will ever understand. And yet Jesus endured that because he said, guys, this isn't it. Life's really short, actually. It's real quick. This isn't, don't put your treasure down here. You can't take it with you. But you can put treasure in heaven. You can do what I've asked you to do for my namesake and love those. And by the way, when you love the unlovable and the enemies and the people who have hurt you, magic happens. There's actually a healing. There's a miracle where they are set free and you are set free. And all of a sudden, you're both healed. It doesn't matter who done it. It's for the glory of God. In this sermon, where I, apparently we're going to be in here for a couple weeks. 
It'll change the way you live. This morning on the way to church, I had an enemy. Guy going 35 and a 45. <laughs> He's seen this man, Texas license plates. I did the right thing. I pulled up to the intersection, and he was coming. I was like, well, I'm not going to just blow out in front of him. There's nobody. It's him and I, him and I. I'll let him go in front of me. And I realized right away I made a big mistake. <laughs> and at Agate Beach, and I pulled out behind him, and he was going 35. And I had a lot of thoughts go through my mind, a lot of non-biblical thoughts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Really, really crazy thoughts, actually. <laughs> and you know what I didn't do? any of them. They were there. Get real close to them. Let them know. It's not that bad to pass in a double line, you know. <laughs> and then I even had that, that one thought where once we get, once I do get in front of him, I'm going to get in front of him. I'm going to go so slow. <laughs> I just had the thought. It was just the thought. I didn't, I just kept down. And I kept thinking, man, what's wrong with me? I wasn't even late. I just didn't want to go slow. I just didn't want to go slow. I didn't. And you know what's beautiful about it all? Is that right now I'm in this portion of scripture, and I wouldn't have done any of that stuff necessarily. <laughs> but I was about to teach this. I thought, oh, Lord. How, you're so radical. You're so radical that you would bleed and die on the cross for me. It's pretty radical. Who am I to then take the best things of Christianity and just take just enough to get myself to heaven and yet not surrender my entire life to living as if I'm going to heaven? Oh, no. Lord, what have I become? What have I done just in my looseness and laziness? And I speak for my own self. Wouldn't it be radical if we blessed those instead of defending ourselves, Facebook stalking them, ordering pizza to their house under a different name, you know, just messing with them. Don't do that. Unless you pay for it and send it to my house, that's okay. Wouldn't it be nuts if we just decided to put our, the righteousness of Christ on? Jesus said, look at verse 32. This will be our final verse. I'm going to have Paul come up and lead us. I've been scared to, to, to teach this portion. I still am. I know who I am. And I want you all to read the Sermon on the Plain, this portion. I would say this. Don't freak out. Read it and humble yourself. This sermon, this is a sermon of Jesus. It is designed to get you to humble yourself in front of Jesus and say, wow, Lord, you're so perfect. I'm so imperfect. And yet, Lord, you've afforded me the rest of my life to work it out, haven't you? And it is by grace that I will be saved and not of works. It'll all be you. And Jesus said this, final verse. If you love those, or verse 31, I'm sorry. Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. It's the golden rule. It's more than that. It's what Christ did. Even Christ himself, when he hung on the cross... After he'd been spat upon, lied about, denied three times, betrayed by all, physical, emotional, spiritual pain, separated from his father because he was enduring your sin and mine as well, that on the cross, the first thing out of his mouth, out of seven, was, 
Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Pray for those who use you. Pray for those who hate you. Pray, pray for those and seek their well-being. And I'll tell you what, guys, I'll tell you what, gals, Jesus did it for you. Wouldn't it be awesome if today you said, wow, I'm glad I'm a Christian. It's pretty cool. And the Lord said, it is pretty cool. Now I want you to go be a peacemaker, to live like one. Naturally, you're still all jacked up. Sorry. It's going to come up. Someone's going to pull out in front of you today. You're going to pray for them that they get citations. Okay. Different kind of prayer. Lord, I thank you for your grace and kindness, even as it's expressed here at the table. As we come to take communion, Lord, we're reminded of your goodness and your grace and your love and your forgiveness. Lord, of your plan to give us salvation and then to let us work it out. It's crazy. To give us salvation by your blood and then to give us the Holy Spirit to help us and to cleanse us and to forgive us day in and day out. Just like when parents have babies. It's a blessing that day, that birthday. And then those parents are dedicated to those kiddos for the rest of their life. Through all the seasons and all the lessons and all the trials and all the messiness, those parents are dedicated. How much more so our Heavenly Father dedicated to us. And so, Lord, we worship you this morning. We ask a blessing on our hearts, Lord. May there be fruit in our lives as we get another yet, another, another yet opportunity to live for you. Bless the table as we're reminded of your grace and forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.